This episode of Pot of the Jam is rated S for spoilers. You've been warned. Coming soon. Jolting tales of horror. And welcome to my crawly crypt. Let's roll, bruh. In this neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. Dying, that is. Most of us only get to do it once. And it's all over before you can really enjoy it. I've been waiting for you, boy. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Unless, of course, you're scared. Your most terrifying nightmare and your most frightening reality are about to meet. On the streets. And this is a trip, homie. No, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Performer who found death not only fun, but profitable. The most fun you'll ever have being scared. everyone you're on pod of the damned and we are diving straight into some fabulous horror you might notice that our audio quality is a little different than usual that's because we're filming this in the past during lockdown number five in melbourne so we're all sitting in our respective uh, homes i'm in bed and recording and having a good time hey everyone i'm dean i'm em and I'm Shuri, and welcome to hell, motherfuckers. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. That Excellent. was my favourite part of that movie. So good. Cool. Oh, that was your favourite. I mean, come I mean, on. No. So when when you said it, though, that it, was, so many it was a so much punch the it. air when he said that line at the end. It punch is. the air in joy. It was great. Yeah. No, no, no. I completely agree. Well, that's now, we've we, already we're starting to hit on the topic already. Yes, yeah, so. absolutely. We teased last time that we were going to be doing things for the next two episodes a little bit differently, um, because we were realizing that sometimes we were doing massive recounts of of the films and having a great time doing it. But um, we realized, you know, we needed to give ourselves a little bit of a breather in a certain way because we'd been diving into horror so much, mm. obviously, in order to bring you these daily podcasts that uh, we, we're doing things a little bit differently. And the theme of today's uh, uh, podcast is anthologies. Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, Shori, I, I thank you for suggesting this as one of our podcast themes because I just... Uh, so my 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 passion is more sci-fi than horror. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely adore horror, to, obviously, um, but I've always been well into sci-fi anthologies. And mm-hmm. for me, so you know, um, I was about to say Tales from the Crypt, Outer Limits, and um, uh, why why have the, it's it's gone out of my mind? What's the really, Twilight Zone? Twilight Zone, yeah. Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, that kind of stuff. Absolutely yep. adore it. And I've, it's only in recent years that I started to get into horror anthologies. And I just, they're just so much fun. I love the format. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and even just the format itself is so varied. So when we started talking about doing this episode, we were like, 
we realized that we were all thinking of something different. We were like, so hang on, do we mean the movies that have multiple stories within a movie or do we mean the TV shows that have like a separate little, you know, story? And then you can even go further, like you can look at something like um, American Horror Story, which is technically an anthology and each season is its own different, you know, and obviously we don't have time to to watch an entire season (laughs) of something. I mean, Um, I can do it. Yeah, oh, I bet you could. I've seen the way that you, you marathon um, yeah. horror content. I don't know how your psyche withstands that <laughs> entire I mean, day I, worth I, of. I love it. Yeah, because normally, yeah. and I actually did this again with this one when we're recording. I, you know, I don't wean out how many times I'm going to be watching the day before mm-hmm. we record. I do everything, and when Just we're doing double it. episodes. That can be a morning moon. <laughs> and yeah. I love it. It's brilliant. But I will yeah. say, you know, what's also interesting is just um, this same week, American Horror Stories came out, which is the anthology. Every single week is a different story within the universe of American Horror Story. What? Has just mm. come out. Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah, I had no what... fucking idea. Well, I saw a couple of previews and I'm like, eh, we'll see. I the rely on are... you guys to keep me up to date of anything that well, I've missed. I didn't know. I didn't know till last week, so I'm telling you now. Okay, yeah, I'm going to make a confession that I haven't watched an American Horror Story season since Asylum. Oh, I mean, is. Asylum was a brilliant. Did you not like Asylum? I, I started watching the the witchcraft one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you didn't like Coven? I loved Coven. Uh, I, I, I never great. finished it. It's, it's not your bag. I'll tell you. Yeah, it's not for that. me. It's Coven is not your bag. Yeah. Freak Show won't be your bag. Though the no, Freak thing, Show, no, Freak Show sounded interesting, no, but I just didn't. It I ran sounds out of time. Interesting, but it just you know what the <laughs> good thing about Coven. <laughs> I, I think that sums it up. It sounds interesting. I just yeah. let that hang. That's it. <laughs> just it just. But <laughs> the good thing about Coven is they actually in a, with Apocalypse. It's mm-hmm. I mean even though they've all been in the same universe, Apocalypse is literally the like next chapter in coven uh yeah it it ties together season one and season three in a really brilliant way they kind of hint at the the idea that each of the the seasons are connected in the same world previous to that but i think apocalypse Mm -hmm. is the first one where they really they just go into it they should do it yeah and they're like right i'm sorry sure is that like an illuminati (laughs) symbol in your daughter's (laughs) bedroom behind Uh, you for for all the Harry Potter fans out there, that's a Deathly oh, Hallows symbol. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, cool. I'm yes. like, my daughter is not an Ill- Illumina- in the Illuminati. Speaking of witchcraft, I'd, I'd have a lot more money would... and stuff if she was. Yeah, if anything, she's a part of Dumbledore's army. Come on. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, okay. Well, that's some that's some anthology yeah. news that I was yeah. not aware of, and I'm pretty much. I don't know what I highly I have recommend tonight, but we're watching these stories. The first two episodes are, are continuous ones, and they're set like in the first season. They're set in the okay. house of the first season of yep. American Horror Story. But the most annoying part of it for me is the fact that instead of it being a rubber man, um, mm. there's a girl in the house that puts on the rubber suit, and they just imply that rubber suits just fit any body type. Like you just oh. put it on, and they fit. And I'm like, that's not how they work. That the that's the only thing they made rubber okay. suits look inaccurate and parenting, but everything else was great. Okay, <laughs> and I'm seeing here, and I'm not going to read anymore because I don't want to have anything um, anything ruined. But I've just seen a headline that says American Horror Stories Episode 3 just changed AHS forever. Talk yeah, about clickbait. Oh. I haven't seen it yet, but everyone you won't believe yesterday, what happened everyone yesterday was writing online that um uh it's it's a twisty, twervy, bendy episode and it's Ooh. great. Okay, before we get on to the actual episode, I will just say, Shori, um, maybe try Roanoke. 
That that's one of my okay. favorite seasons Ooh, of AHS, yeah. and okay. it's fucking awesome. All right. Yeah. It ends, so in a, in the, it ends not in a great way, but the rest of the season mm. is amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's yeah. Anyway. But like, anthologies for me. The reason like I, I'm always I'm a sucker for anthologies. I've always, mm. no matter what it is, I will always read an anthology book. Like the Stephen King short stories are always my favorite yeah. books of his. Um I like Creep Show, which we are talking about today. Uh, was one of the first ones I saw and I fell in love with it. But I've always loved, you know, The Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt. And I grew up on The Twilight Outer Limits. Zone and Tales from the Crypt. They were yeah. my, yeah. And uh, Tales from the Dark Side, which is a movie and a TV mm. show as well, which we could have covered. Um, there's stuff like, um, I can't remember what the name of it was, but there was an anthology series that came out um, a couple of years ago that was all based on creepypasta. That I really? cannot, re- cannot remember the name of it off the top oh, of my head. Shit. I'll look yes. at No, I know what it is, and I'm going to say <laughs> this because we're having a conversation another time. In tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I know I what you're talking about. It. And there's yeah. people screaming at their, at their podcast mm-hmm. machines at the moment. Um, there's Black Mirror, which is horror mm. and yeah. sci-fi and everything. And, um, look, there's been movies. like There's one I saw just recently on Shutter called Scare Package. Which yes, I watched is, that. A lot of fun. Mm. It's it's a bit goofy in parts, but it's lots mm. of fun and has some very good cameos in it. Um, but I think this is one of the th- things I love about anthologies is the fact that, you know, they don't have time like a film has to really mm. stretch yeah. things out. So you've got a short yeah. amount of time. So everything everything's at an 11 from the acting to the tone Mm -hmm. to the visualization. And this is Mm. why I love anthologies is you've got a short amount of time. So you've got to hit it. You know, if you've only got three acts to really tell this, you've got to hit it straight out of the gate. There is nothing else. And I, and I often I've spent, I think while studying media and loving TV and loving acting, I would often watch anthologies as a child just going, I love how they do this all in such a huge hit. And the thought that they do this all like in a week, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. A, a, when they're making a series, it's, I mean, I know it's their job, but when you're doing something from week to week where you're one character, when you've got to hit it and hit it hard, I just mm. love it. Yeah. And I think in a time when, um, you know, and I know we, we've touched on this before in this podcast, when a lot of movies feel, feel, bloated they it feels yeah. like there's there's not the, the editing 90 minutes people 90 minutes yeah yeah it feels like you know there's a lot of sloppy editing or, or lack of editing and um I feel like often in contemporary films the the third act seems to be really protracted it's almost like split into two and yeah. then you get I, and I think this is part of the joy of anthologies short stories whatever you want to call them is that they are really short and sharp and it's just yeah Good storytelling. You yeah, know, I'm going to go out there and, sorry, I was just going to say, I'm going to go out there and say, I think this is the first sub-genre that we've found that all three of us are equally as mm-hmm. fuck yes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah big time. We all yeah. love it. But I was going to say, even with the, my favourite thing about anthologies too is that, and when it comes, this comes with everything, with books, with movies, with TV mm. shows, is that, the first story you might love, the next one you might not like as much, but there's another story coming. So you exactly. will like or love one story in that collection. Exactly. Yeah. Even it's, if you, you know, it, yeah, it moves around and you go, oh, that one wasn't as good, but the next one is a lot of fun or the next one's really creepy. It, That's it. You know, it, it always works. But and none are ever bad. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. this is true. Yeah. And you know what? Do I've you, always been the same, even with, like you were saying, Shuri, whatever the format, um, 
even like short stories, like books have always been one of my favourite things to read. And when I was younger and I first got into sci-fi and horror, I remember going to the local library when I was a kid and I absolutely devoured the books of short, scary stories and then I moved to short sci-fi stories to the the point that I still, I run a book club now that's based on short stories specifically Mm -hmm. because I love the format. Yeah, awesome. It's just... Yeah, it, it yeah. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I feel I like, like we um, just. Yeah. I like comic anthologies as well. Yeah. I think they're really so do good. I, don't worry, we, we were going to get to cul de sac. Don't worry, I have it on my list. Don't and I, I love the way the creep show stuff is all like sort of based on you know a comic book, and and we see you know it doesn't they, hide its roots. Like no. yeah, I love the way they integrate the the comic book format into right. screen media by like pulling you out of the the animation and into real life. Like it's just it's fun and it's it really is. It, it's so fun should how, we just jump into Creep Show? Yeah, because oh, yeah, I feel I like we're just going to gush about the. <laughs> we the we genre could talk for forty minutes just about how much yeah. you enjoy it, but let's dive yeah. on in. Also, yeah. kicking I'll jump off into with the film. Yeah, with just jumping into Creep Show. Made in 1982, which, uh, as we all know, is the best year for things that came out, things that uh, were made that year. I was about to say, I didn't come out in 1982. No, yeah, I was going to say, did I? Like, hang on, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Creep Show, for those who don't know, an anthology which tells five terrifying tales inspired by the EC comic horror books of the 1950s. Pretty straightforward. Mm. Um, but it's made by uh, George A. Romero and Stephen King, with the mm. producers on it. And um, as people know, Stephen King is Geordie Verrill in his little short there. What? Um, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. So Geordie Verrill, the, the lonesome death of Geordie oh, Verrill when is you Stephen said, King. Did, have you seen Stephen King yet? I thought you just meant Stephen King's story. I didn't know no, you no, meant no. literally is, Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is literally Stephen King. And now Stephen that you King. said it, it's, I'm like, yeah, that Meteor is Stephen shit. King. I'm like, <laughs> I can see him Stephen now. King. Yeah, that's Stephen yeah. King. But oh also... So with the wraparound huh. story about the little boy who uh, his dad doesn't want him reading trash comic books. Yes. So we all uh, say Tom Atkins, the man we love from uh, Halloween 3, is yes. the dad. <laughs> so <laughs> good. No nipple licking this time around. Um, <clears throat> but the little boy who he smacks in the face is mm. uh, Joe Hill, the writer. Oh, wow. Who's that? Joe Hill. There's a little boy. You know, Joe Hill who wrote uh, Lock and Key and... Oh. Horns and all that oh, stuff. Wow. So Stephen Stephen King's son is that little boy. Wow! Oh, holy shit! Yeah, okay. there you go. I did look at that. You're just a fountain of of knowledge. Every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do we want to just briefly go through the stories one by one, just to, um, or do you want to just talk around it? I think I think it'll take us probably a bit too long to try and go yeah. through each of the stories in detail. But yeah. maybe okay. Do you know what? Let's. I'm trying to think of the best way to start this. Shori, you recommended this, um, mm-hmm. so I'm interested to hear which is your favourite story um, from Creepshow, well, the movie, I, I had, and why. I was saying to Dean just before, I have a little bit of an interesting story. So the first time I ever saw Creepshow, I taped it off uh, Channel 10 on a VHS tape oh, wow. at about, what, 2 o'clock in the morning it would have mm-hmm. been on. And for people who grew up in the VHS era, there was always a problem that if you didn't set the tape to run long enough, it would sometimes cut off your movie. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time, I just assumed that Creepshow only had four stories. Oh, oh wow. And no end credits. So I didn't realise that the last story about the man with the cockroaches was actually on the anthology until I watched it probably 15 years later. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
That's so such what, a neat story. Yeah. So it was, you know, people who grew up in that era will understand that if you don't set it for maybe 10 minutes after the movie was supposed to finish, it would cut off. Mm. And so, you know, if something wow, ran yeah. along that night and pushed everything a little bit, you were stuffed. So, yeah. But um, my favourite story was always, when I was growing up watching it, it was always The Crate because I okay, loved yes, the monster yes, yes. The, the yeah. Crate was very good. Adrian Barbeau being so over the top as the horrible wife. Um, oh, my God. She was awful. And also, yeah. uh, and can I just say, I texted both of you when I when I saw this scene. Not only was she awful, but she she drank, she, she had a glass of milk when she got home from her yeah. day and then just put a, poured a bunch of whiskey into it. I was yeah. like, oh, what the fuck? Like, just, uh, I mean, just drink the whiskey straight. Like, honestly. <laughs> so we had. Um, the most horrifying was, part. It wasn't ideal. So what we had, the first one was. Um, Father's Day. Oh, right. yes, that's right. The Father's Day. Right. Right. The second and one. Bodelia. The second was, was Stephen King, right? Yeah, Stephen, Stephen King, King was with a meteor. And death of Geordie Meteor. Meteor. meteor shit. Then we had um, uh, the Hold Your Breath with Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen. Oh, yep. that's right. Something, something that tied we, you over, it's called. And then the then crate. Then we had the crate one, the crate. and then we had and the then cockroaches. Uh, it's hard for me to pick just one. For me, it's, mm. it's three, four, and five. Okay. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, okay. It, yeah, I actually it, agree with you. I, I, I really, yeah. I mean, the yeah, first the one. The first one had Ed Harris's made, dancing. So let's, all right, let's, <laughs> we won't go too hard into it, but let's break it down a little bit just to give everyone a bit of an explanation. The first one is essentially a father, a rich father on, a recount of a rich father on Father's Day wanting um, cake and he keeps calling his daughter like everything under the sun because he just wants cake to such a degree that she beats him to death. And then on the anniversary of his death, when the family are all hanging out at the mansion, um, he comes out on Father's Day out of, of the grave, let's be grave, not out of the closet, out of the grave, cool. mm. out of the grave, and um, kills them all because he wants cake, yeah. which is hilarious and great, and has some terrible yeah. dancing. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say I, I didn't, I didn't love the first episode. I, yeah, no, like I once had no episode <laughs> story. I, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on what it was, but I just, I don't know. It felt a bit slow, and I was kind of struggling to really get into it maybe it's because the 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 mo- i know this sounds ridiculous because we're talking about creep show but the motivation felt really like he wanted cake okay and this is the thing guess, yeah like like but with the first the two, dancing fuck me yeah the dancing was hilarious but with the first two i think that's very intentional where they're just mm. and this is the other thing i love about all these anthologies the casting but it, it was very intentional because you're watching the whole film even though it's anthologies mm. no one's mm. stopping and starting you're watching the whole thing and it is that kind of okay we've lulled you we've lulled you and now here we I are i think so it's, yeah it's well it's like an album here. right the songs are, are, are deliberately placed in a specific order in the album so yeah. that you go on a bit of a journey as you listen to do, it i think it's like the same thing that. Yeah, and you yeah. know, like yeah. the the third, like so, the second one was then with Stephen King. A meteorite crashes. Stephen King's a mm. yokel, which and, is a lot more comedic um, than the other ones as well. And it it's, is, it's, it's a bit really more cute. comedy. I quite like it. It's very sad at the end, though. Like if you get you it's sort of feel sci-fi. for him. And then when at the end, when I don't don't really want to spoil it, but what happens oh, to him at the we end? We can spoil it. All right, we can spoil so it. He, shoots himself in the face with a shotgun. Mm. Um, that yeah, it's sort of a bit sad though, because you know he's not this. He's this. Dumb as dirt, yokel, yeah. playing, you know, acting to the rafters. Me, 
down to body melt when we watch body melt. And yeah, very, very of, similar. Yeah. yeah. And just the, the way he gets taken over by this thing and, you know, talking about how he's you know, he's going to make money off this meteor and then mm. all of a sudden he's getting covered in all this green shit. And, See, it's yeah, funny, it's, like maybe this just says something about my – um, cold dead heart, but I, I didn't I didn't feel bad for him. I, I just feel felt like either. no, I Aww. just at the end I felt like it was the narrative about the reclamation of, of nature. Like there was yes. it was a metaphor for because at the end we saw nature. like well yeah I mean it's a metaphor, you know, like at the end we saw like the all the green rolling um whatever well, moss, weeds, space yeah. plants mm-hmm. just covering the earth. Um and I was kind of like oh Yay, yay nature. <laughs> yeah, well, it was humans like have kind of fucked up back. the planet. Alien nature can have a crack. Um, and I love the fact that it wasn't there wasn't really cause and effect. It was just coincidental yes. scenarios yep. and here we are. And so there was something good about that. And I did actually like that it was this microcosm. So you could you could imagine that um, there's a possibility that this was happening in other parts of the planet at the same yeah. time. Other mm-hmm. meteors had landed or it had spread further and there was chaos and we were just seeing this one little microcosm of this guy who was very isolated, really dopey. He was in this rural setting. So we didn't see anything about how it was impacting the rest of the world. We just saw this one lonely kind of dopey guy's experience of this which was kind of cool and then you yeah. can just kind of imagine what else was happening so it, that was a cute episode i liked it and i like yeah. as well they jump like it really is two very different stories that jump to two very different extremes and the third oh, yeah. one is actually dark that was the first one oh, that yeah. i was like this is actually quite it's brilliant dark. and serious Not- leslie nielsen is very hard to oh take my sometimes God. too i so- was just <laughs> The I was impressed we, with his acting chops. Yeah, I was like, well, no, he, but he was a serious, serious actor. He, he was, was a serious, serious actor. actor. Yeah, he I was. Didn't know and, that. and the thing was, the story with him in um, Flying High was that he came in as a, he thought it was a serious role, and he was <laughs> delivering. When they told him it was a comedy, he still delivered all the lines as a serious actor, as a proper trained actor, and that's where the comedic value comes from. Is that all his delivery in that wow. movie is very straightforward and serious. Do you want to hear yeah. something funny, Shuri? And, and Dean, I'm sure you'll appreciate this as well, but I don't know if you've ever seen this an interview with Nick Cage about his performance on Con Air and he's talking about, and I again, I can't quite tell, but I really do think he's being serious. He's talking about how he drew on a Shakespearean style performance for Conair and he reflects on how he he it was very for him like theatrical and really considered. And I'm just like, what Conair? Thou will put the bunny back in the well, box. Not in the literal Shakespearean sense, but you know, like <laughs> and, he, and he actually was that story, like no. Shakespeare. <laughs> he... You were just going from Thor. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he thinks he's a serious actor and that's what makes him funny so that's good. what makes him funny anyway we digress that, the way that he thinks he's a serious actor the way he does he that i'm gonna send you guys I mean, a video of him talking about he elevates like, everything even, shut up even if they're in, no i'm saying even if they're in <laughs> things that we consider to be b grade or d grade they're still serious actors doing no, no. i guess what i'm trying to say is i don't think nick cage realizes that he's nick cage like okay, no one it, better yeah. tell mm-hmm. him because I don't think he's in on it. <laughs> I don't think he, he may implode. <laughs> it may be like Rumpelstiltskin, where if someone tells him he's a, he's not a serious actor, he may just go and disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this anyway, is a whole anyway, separate so podcast. The Something third one over. has, has Ted Danson, Ted, Ted Danson, mm. and Leslie Nielsen. And Leslie Nielsen basically tells Ted Danson he's going to take him to see his girlfriend, who he's got, and then makes him 
bury himself alive in the sand with his head yes. out of the water as the tide's coming in, as he watches his girlfriend already buried in the sand down with the just, way. A, just watching the waves coming in and just mm-hmm. slowly drowning it her. Was it's real and slowly horrific. drowning. It was yeah. it was it was great and dark and yeah. I mean I, I never thought I'd see Leslie Nielsen in the shower, but I did. <laughs> and, uh, I would see him playing not only a serious role but a sadistic role. Like he, oh, yeah, he yeah. goes it's, home it's, and then pours himself a whiskey, sands milk. Um, and just He's not like an alcoholic. has a, has a bit of a laugh and when watches them on the TV drowning and I'm like and this is Fuck. dark and full on and and Ted Jansen's like looking at him in the camera going I swear I'm going to get you back it's like and it's not over it's not yeah. over and then his head's underwater mm-hmm. as he's struggling to breathe and then we he go in the next morning. You know, Leslie goes to the beach and go, and all the cords are cut. And he's like, "Oh, he must have got taken out to sea," which makes no sense. But because um, no, he no, was it buried, and then basically he's got a house that's all he, he's got video cameras and everything, so he can see everything. Lots of TVs, very villain in a Bond film. Yeah. Um, and and basically these swamp things, which are the two people who were buried because they swore revenge against him. They've become sea monsters. Mm. And and because what he was Love saying it. to them is if you can hold your breath, you'll survive. If you can hold your breath, you'll survive. And then they're and basically won't. no, of course not. But they they're basically like just coming after him in his house and going, Can you yeah. hold your breath? Can you hold your breath? Mm. And he's trying to shoot them. It's just great. And then they do the same thing to him. It's fantastic. Yeah. And that last that last moment when he's like, I can hold my breath, and then the water hits him mm. is amazing. It's, it's a nice little just full circle revenge story, really. Yeah. Like very, very much like the old comics. The old comics were always like that. The you know, mm. the bad person who does something and then they get revenge at the end. They were very short, very um simple storylines, but they work yeah. so well. You just put your own little spin and, on it. And this one though, they they all played it so yeah. well. Like yeah. this was this hit every note perfectly. Yeah. And I think um, for something like Creepshow, which is light horror, um, if you're going to go really dark like that, it has to be cathartic. There has to be a a, a, yeah. a, a full circle yeah. at the end. There has to be revenge. Otherwise, it's it's just too dark. Like yeah. for something like Creepshow, but um, and then and then we had the the milk and whiskey episode. The crate, just what I'm going to call it. <laughs> I mean, crate. and this was a great one. A lot of levels yeah. to it. Basically, we've yeah. got. A husband who hates his wife who's really terrible to him and he's mm. really meek and he keeps fantasizing about killing her. <laughs> they work at a university and and she hates him. And then yeah. there's another person at the university that finds a thing in a crate. Yeah, Fluffy. there's some kind. Co- yeah, yeah. That's no, actually called in- Fluffy. The, the actual oh, uh, creature is called Fluffy. Yeah, really. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that again. How simplistic the storyline is. Like we don't need to know much of the details. They just find a crate that has like a really old date on it. It's from some kind of excavation that happened fucking years ago in Antarctica or something. And we're just like, okay, there's a crate and, here. Yeah. Some academics yep. did something years ago, and because well, universities just have them. And like, just- you know what? Let's open hey, it up. They do. I've worked at a university. I can tell you, it's just crates <laughs> with creatures in them in the science yeah. department. This is just what happens. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's just a good. Um, and it's basically, just a good they open up the story. crate, and the monster just uh, in the crate just starts killing whatever yeah. people it can find. Yeah. When yeah. the when the the guy that helped open it tells the other lecturer, he mm. uses it as a way to lure his wife there. 
because he keeps yes. fantasizing about killing her and then like puts her near the box and starts screaming to kill her, kill her, kill her, kill her. Mm. And then she, and nothing happens. And then she just starts calling him everything under the sun. Mm. And then just as she's about to leave, the monster jumps up and kills. Mm. It's great. It's yeah. dark. And, and this is what I think I love as well. Just like the one before, like it really speaks to the darker nature within people, which yeah. gives another level to these, like yeah. it is creep show. So it is like, but when you have that darker level to human nature, which is what I like about mm. the last three, it really speaks even more, and then, yeah. and then he he just get throws the the crate and the monster in yes, it off her. That's right. And this is what's hilarious: like there is that moment where he's trying to put the lock in the chain, and you know anything could happen. This is just mm. chilling. I loved it. I mm. thought it, it it played with suspense in a brilliant way. I, I think, in terms of looking also at that dark side of human nature, it's not just dark in the in the cruel way, but like the. I guess the the less desirable aspects of our character. So this guy was just so he was so cowardly and pathetic. Yeah. Like, and this is even in the way that she ended up, his wife ended up dying. He had an opportunity to kill her, and he still couldn't. And he didn't yeah. in the end. Yep. And he kind of cowered away and let the creature do it, even though he yeah. was right there because there was a moment where he was. I can't remember if he was strangling her or what he was doing. But it. And I was almost like. Yes, like come on, come on, do it, do it. And then and he and he couldn't and he cowered away and she started calling him names. And I'm like, oh man, it's kind of pathetic. Like you just you just took that and then you let someone else deal with the yeah, the problem. Yeah. Like it, you know, I, I guess it's kind of that really cliche, like, is who really who is the monster after all? Is it is it yeah. the creature in the crate or is it you know humanity? Um, well, I mean, humanity. It was that thing as well. It's always she humanity. Kept, yeah. She kept saying he can't do things for himself. That's why I yes. have to do it. Like, actually, and it really good point. Is true. Like, it really yeah. is true. Yeah. And it was acted yep. brilliantly. Oh, yeah. she oh, yeah. just nails it. No, yeah. Adrian Barbeau is a legend of horror, not just horror, but movies in general. She oh, is the everything. best. Yeah, yeah, that would have been so such a fun role to play. As well, totally, totally. Like, I'd love to know how much was ad libbed when she's berating him with stuff. How much is just ad libbed of her just ripping into him? He's going, "Hey, hey, that, that was too far this time. Let's do this <laughs> yeah. again." Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and then the last one, which was definitely one of my favorites, which was the the that cockroach very good. Um, mm-hmm. story. And I think again, d- clearly, ve- highly metaphoric. Um, oh, you know, yeah. this we, we've got this guy who's, I guess, some kind of a an academic or a scientist or, or you know. He, I just saw him as a rich dickhead. Well, that's too. Um, but I think, you know, given the setup at his house, he had a very, um like, modern, it was very sci-fi feeling, very, like, modern, clean, straight lines. He's a germaphobe too. Sterile, yeah. yes. Very yeah. sterile environment with his computers and his code running up and doing whatever. And he's wearing and, gloves and touching things. He's basically he's, afraid of germs. Well, yeah. he's, and you know what, he kind of made me think of um Ebenezer Scrooge, but, like, in a sci-fi kind yeah. of way. Like, yeah. he's just a or rich Who was the other guy? The one that um Leonardo DiCaprio played in The Aviator. Um, uh, I try uh, not to watch films that he's in. Um, I can't think, but the guy who goes a bit nuts towards the end of his life and he did the same sort of thing, like germaphobe and stuff. But this guy, you know, we we there are several, you know, points in this story where we see him interacting with others and he's just a complete asshat. Yeah. Like, like this a woman he's calls famous. him and she's she's obviously complaining about, you know, something that he 
that he did, we, we never really find out what it was, something regarding her husband or her, her partner who has now passed. I, I don't know if he was like a doctor or a scientist or something, you know, um, and he's just no empathy, just doesn't give a shit. No. He's just like, you know. He's in his literal bubble, which is ironic because we're all in our bubbles now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, um, well, yeah. And, and I, I mean, th- we, we see him every time he wipes something down, he puts the, the rag in a, in a thing that sucks it away, like yes. he's he's in pursuit of cleanliness, <laughs> like, the, um, like toilets like toilet on airplanes. Toilet yeah. oh, yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. Every time, he, his yep. pursuit of a germ-free life and being clean and everything being mm. fine, opposed to everything else, just keeps isolating him even more to the point that yes. even he, you know, the cleaner talks through a, a, a little hole at the door, yeah. which makes him look really freakish. And this guy, you're right, is yeah. Is a ter- a terrible human. That scene is yeah. actually great. The way they distort the the camera to just see these really grossly exaggerated mouths and teeth yeah. talking to each yeah. other through the other side of the door. Like they're both it's kind so of smart. seem a bit mm-hmm. monstrous. And I think that interaction is like, it, you know, it's been building up, and and we've been getting the impression that he's a, a horrible guy. Um, but he's interacting with this um, with the cleaner who who happens to be a, a person of color, and he's you know horribly racist and and oh just yeah, awful, gross. And it's kind of like I think it's the point where it solidifies right. We hate this guy. Whatever's going to happen to him, we're we're okay with it. And it wasn't enough. You know, well, no. <laughs> and I and I feel like you know, yeah. again, all the bugs and cockroaches. To me, it's kind of a metaphor for the way he sees other people. Yeah. He he yeah. sees other people as beneath him, as they just need to get out of the way. He he hates them. He wants to be away from them and isolated. And squashed under his heel. Yeah, it's we don't really as well though that. I mean, because basically what happens is he starts seeing a cockroach in his house. He's like, why are cockroaches yeah. there? And and through all the little crevices that exist within his world, cockroaches yeah. start pouring out of till yep. they devour him. They just consume pour him. Out of, but pour I, out but of and then they start coming out of him, yeah. It, yeah it literally speaks, pour out yeah. of his crevices. It's about how he, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly that's right. in the cupboard. But it, it speaks to how, you know, he treats people, but also, you know, the reality of you can't have one thing without another and to try and exclude yeah. it. There, there's a symbiosis. Yeah. <laughs> within the world well mm. yeah you can't uh, i mean again like that that kind of reference to humankind's relationship with nature you can't just completely detach yourself from the rest of the world from from your environment from nature from animals whatever it is like you just you can't you can't be in a silo or in a bubble yeah um and mm-hmm. if you try to it's it's not gonna things aren't gonna work exactly yeah but yeah, I but really it was think- great. Like it was chilly yeah. for people that don't like bugs. This would have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I thought it was really funny um, mm. and great because, yeah, I mean, if I was in that scenario, I'd probably be freaking out a bit too. Uh, but yes. you know, like yes, lots of lots of bugs. Like would have been so crazy, but fun to film. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Like I said, I, I've seen bits and pieces of old episodes of Tales from the Crypt and, and Creep Show, but I'd never seen this um, film um, mm. and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I, I have to just say um, in, this kind of goes back a little bit to um, origins. So I realised watching some of these episodes and movies for this episode. So I've talked a little bit on the first couple of episodes of this podcast about how Initially, I was super scared of everything and, and found even the idea of horror movies terrifying. And watching these reminded me that the, the covers of the, the videotapes um, 
because this is this is way back when I was a kid, the videotapes for like Tales from the Crypt and Creep Show with the with the skeleton guy. Yes, just, just the covers scared the shit out of me. Oh, and really? The, I love yes, them. Yes, the like when I was a little kid, and to me, just the idea in my mind of how scary whatever that movie is, how scary it must be based on the cover, was was more terrifying than anything just the idea just the idea that I had of what this must have been um and I I kind of love that now I'm I'm older and I'm like I love these they're fun yeah, yeah, and the sections yeah, yeah. at the start where you I actually I live for those bits in the middle of the stories where the skeleton comes on and, totally. and he's like Mwahaha. like I just love it's so camp it's so like over the top it's just that's the best and you're right. part and, fun. and with yes. creep show as well like the way they use the comics and have those elements mm-hmm. with the monster yes. in between it's heaven you haven't I mean rounded out the way we're introduced to the stories in creep show is a father to treating his kid like crap yeah um yes. because he's reading horror comic books and he throws it in the bin yeah and then at the end the kid uses a voodoo doll on his dad and kills yeah. him which is yeah. really cool because that's the because really that's cool. the ad that's missing in the book he's and cut I it love, out and sent off for his voodoo yeah doll. that's right that's right because the garbos get the um get find the comic book and, and yeah. they're like oh one of the bits been ripped out and it's the bit yeah. where you send away for the voodoo doll yeah but i so love clever. the the theme that kept going through the whole thing is not just the comic books, but the use of red and blue light around death was Ooh, really yeah, I didn't beautifully, notice that. It was really beautifully done. Something that I think now, I mean, one of the we're going to talk about the latest creep show on Shudder and mm. that the elements that exist within that is something like using the comic books and all those different things. I think it's something that the remake doesn't do as well. Mm. Yeah, it's it's all the like the freeze frame sort of things, like when the monster appears, like like the famous one of Leslie Nielsen. Yes, and the but the way it was in the movie, it just it captures it really beautifully. Mm. Um, and And it really, yeah, yeah, and it's a lovely. Sorry, I was just going to say it's a lovely way to um. Uh, just in terms of, I guess, in terms of a, a marketing technique, but also, um, just. Just by way of appealing to different demographic d- demographics and different audiences, like blending the the comic book format with the movie format is is it's just a really lovely way to create something that's very unique. And you can yeah. watch it and feel nostalgic about yeah. another form of yeah. media. You can watch yep. it and think about comic books. So, like, if you're a comic book reader, or you're a, you're someone who loves movies, or you're someone who loves both, or whatever, like, it's something that's is really enjoyable and fun. I think totally. Yeah, for me, for me, this is a this is a top ten all time horror film for me. Really? Is, yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, mm-hmm. There is so much about it that's just wonderful, and it's made so well. Mm. And um, I think that it's a, like I've t- I talk about gateway horror, and I think this is sort mm. of a second level gateway horror. Like you've seen yeah, the sure. early stuff, and yeah. then you want to move on to something a little bit scarier, but it's not over yeah. the top. It's not over yeah. the top gory. There's some really no. cool creature effects. It's all practical, which is always, you know, it, every time practical effects are in a movie, it gets an extra whatever for me. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's just it's just so good. And, you know, every story is good. Some of them are not as good as the others, but they're all yeah. entertaining and you all get something out but of it. But it also so I think speaks it's, to it's what perfect. horror is. Like so many mm. people keep thinking horror has to make you jump to make mm-hmm. it be good, when in mm. fact suspense and chilling mm. and and this, yeah, being able to put these together and touch on so many different notes is fantastic. Yeah. So I think because we we kind of um, 
briefly touched on this before on the the new creep show. So maybe next we should talk about the episode yep. of the which was on nineteen creep show that we watched. Yeah, yeah. So this this was my pick for well one of, this was one of my picks for this episode. Um, I I quite enjoyed the new the new creep show the twenty nineteen. Creep show series. I know Shuri. Shuri's got Shuri's got other feelings about it. Um, yeah, no, look, that's okay. <laughs> I, I do. I do agree that um, the integration of the, the the comic book motif was a little bit missing um, in the 2019 mm-hmm. Creep Show, and I think that that's and when a shame it's used because, and when it's used, it's it's yeah. used in a way that I feel like we're almost watching. Remember in the early noughties when there'd be a TV show on Sci-Fi, and you just know that you're going to get bad special effects from mm, it and just mm, accept it. Mm. It's that as well. But what kills me with it is I'm like, we didn't need the bad special effects. Mm, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it, it takes you out of it. Maybe I they were trying dis- to sort of be nostalgic. And I, I was disappointed with the whole well. first season, honestly. It it um but it didn't what, live up even to the, the even the episode that we're gonna talk about? I like this one. Uh, the story, honestly, sorry. Episode, yeah, yeah. The story episode. I liked, but the yeah. the rest of the season it was sort of Yeah, okay. A way like more down than up. I yeah, found okay. I haven't watched much of season two yet, but I like the first. But for the um, just to link it to Creep Show, the first yeah. episode has Adrian Barbeau, the one yeah, it, called um, Grey Matter. She's in mm. the first part of this episode. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah she's, actually, she's she runs the restaurant that, or the store. The store, okay. and I watched that thinking it was the one we were meant to watch, and was really confused. One, why Emma would pick this one. And also, <laughs> why it, it just had a child constantly. Well, it was an adult playing a child constantly referring to his father as daddy, mm. and his dad constantly referring daddy. to him as daddy. Says, "Go and get me a bit." It was just, and I was like, "This is really disturbing." <laughs> so I was really grateful to once again discover I've watched the wrong thing. Yeah, Dean, um, Dean messages and said, "This this house of the head has got the most offensive use of the term daddy I've ever seen," and I'm like, "I don't, I don't remember a reference to daddy, but okay." Emma, House of the Head, got to be a cupboard title. Oh, absolutely. Surely. <laughs> I mean, surely. and this was this was a brilliant story. Like, yeah. this do, you, was... do you want me to read the synopsis? Sure. So it's called The House of the Head. Uh, Evie, which is scary because that's my daughter's name. Evie's dolls are some of her favourite companions, but when a severed toy head appears in their dollhouse and starts murdering, Evie can't protect them. Are her favourite dolls next? Or worse, if it escapes the confines of the dollhouse, is she mm. next? And that's, I mean, yeah. bang, like. Yeah, and it, it's one of those. Chilling. Yeah, and it's one of those, um, like we've discussed before, really well edited story, really tight, really just, you know, and it's just creepy. Like I really, this one stood out to me when I watched the the, the new creep show because it was what I love about anthology stories. It was just short and sharp and really proper creepy. And so we've what- got. Yeah, I was about to say, what's crazy and creepy about it is the fact that this girl's got this big dollhouse and mm. and, and gorgeous like, dollhouse, beautiful big dollhouse. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, so she puts, she goes to school, and when she comes back, like the dolls have moved, and mm. there's the head there, and and the expression on yeah. the doll starts to look scary, and and it well, seems like she yeah. gets a policeman doll and puts it in the house and goes. I, now and you're I being love protected. this. I, I love that this you know this weird, and it's clearly like a corpse severed head. That, and it's like mm. a little figurine that just appears in the dollhouse yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and each time. And I love that it's not 
It's not just a matter of, um, you know, she goes away for the day and comes back at the end of the day and they've moved. Sometimes she literally just looks away for a minute and looks back and the dolls have moved. So yeah. they're, mm. they're living moment by moment and they're moving when she's not looking at them. And she she literally, you know, gets her mum to take her to the, the store, um, you know, where, where you get uh, the, the little figurines and characters and stuff for dollhouses to try and find characters to help this family who are being haunted yeah. by this head. She gets a police person. And the way and, they're being haunted, like the, the child's hiding mm, behind the curtain, the parents are looking yeah. upstairs to the attic. It's terrifying. And the dog gets like locked really, outside and she's yeah. like, what are you doing outside? How did the dog and, get outside? And yeah, I have to admit, oh. when I first started watching it, I'm like, oh, no, please don't hurt the dog. I was really worried the head was going to hurt yeah, the dog, but, yeah, but it doesn't. Yeah. The dog is fine. Um but um, but yeah, it, and and it's it's so creepy, and it just escalates. And as you said, Dean, to the point that it gets to it gets to a point where the figurines' facial expressions, and prior to that, they've never oh. changed, actually start to change, and it's like yeah. holy fuck, like something is <laughs> happening. And then she she kind of she gets to a point that she's just she's had it. Like because she finds the the parent figurines with their heads decapitated, and she's like, ah! And she gets the the little head. And up until this point, I'm like, why didn't you just do this from the start? Like, grabs the little head out of the dollhouse and throws it on the ground. And she's like, get out! Stop terrorizing the Smith Smiths. Which is I don't know why oh, she, calls she calls them the Smith them Smiths. The Smith Smiths yeah. um, and as as I think it's you, a hyphenated family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can kind of you can kind of see it. You can kind of see it coming, but um, you know, she throws away the little head, and then she looks under her bed, and it's it's normal it's size, human head size. It's, it was yep. terrifying. Yes, yep. she, well, because she's she it crossed the threshold. She brought it into her world, and then she kind of realizes it's this thing is going to exist, and it's either going to exist in my world or the dollhouse world. So she puts it back in the dollhouse, um, and decides to get rid of the dollhouse, um. And, and sell it off. And it's got a fabulously creepy ending where they're, yeah. they're selling the dollhouse and it's all very, reminds me of a scene from The Exorcist at the very end where they're like leaving the house and, you know, the little girl sitting in the back of the car and they're moving house in the dark window. She looks like she's just been to a funeral um, and someone's buying the dollhouse um, and you see <laughs> the little kid figurine in the dollhouse. The head has put it, it's decapitated him and the head is now on the little boy's head and it kind of yeah. twists around all of a sudden and it's like, yep. ah! Um, and it's just... This was awesome. So just, yeah, love it. Definitely the love best of that first season. It's I would the best agree. episode of the first Freaking season. Out. Yeah, yep. it's and there's something about, you know, haunted toys and dollhouses. Yeah. I couldn't help but think of the... Um, the little models that um, Tony Collette makes in Hereditary. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. When I was watching this, like there's something creepy, uh, uh, just something really creepy about it. Um, and it plays and into I our second film something... too. Sorry. It, it does. Creepy, creepy Dolls plays into our second film. Oh, yes, yes, film. yes. yes. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it does. It, I think what's also great about it is the fact that it really is like at no time did I think something was going to come out of the dollhouse and terrorize the child. She acted yeah. this brilliantly. Like <laughs> she mm. played on the curiosity, the terror, mm. the fear. She did a wonderful job acting. It. Mm. And I love that in the end, and this reminds me of um, 
the ring that we were talking about a few episodes back, I love that in the end there wasn't this this neat bow tied around it and a happy ending. She had to just accept that the evil exists and Mm -hmm. she had to just let it. She had to pass it on. Well, she had to pass it on. She had to Mm -hmm. let it live in some form. She made the choice that it's going to live in the dollhouse and it's not going to live in in her reality and just accept that the evil exists. And I like that that was... That was how they ended it. So I really enjoyed that that yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. It was so good. Oh. should I I think maybe we've got like a nice rhythm of like movie episode, movie episode. So should we go yep. on to the, the, the second movie? So our, our second movie, which, which is, is Tales from the Hood. Which was uh, awesome. Nineteen ninety five. Love so just for people who haven't seen it, uh, a funeral director tells four strange tales of horror with an African-American focus to three drug dealers he traps in his place of business. This is slowly becoming, I think, one of my favourite horror movies. Yeah, um, yeah. I fucking adore it. I, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. Um, I can't remember how I found out about it, but I just, you know, um, and I saw that it was directed by Spike Lee and I was like, ooh, yes, okay. Because um, I think it's, it's really produced low. by Spike Lee. Oh, sorry, sorry. R- produced Rusty, by Spike Rusty Lee. Rusty Kundiev did it. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, his his work always involves a lot of social commentary mm-hmm. around race um, and is always really interesting. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give this a crack. And it's just right from the get-go, it just, it just has you. And if you're someone... Like like myself and like Shori, I think Shori and I have discovered through this film some very common grounds that we didn't <laughs> realise existed in our tastes. If you're someone who loved hood movies from the 90s, so yes. the Dirty Menace, the Friday, Friday series. How can or, you not be someone oh, who's like, how, well, that, yeah, I don't know, there, society, are people, there are people who just don't, lyric. don't get oh, sorry. it. Sorry, I'll just rattle them <laughs> We, no, we'll have like, to do a month of those eventually yeah. as well. But yeah, if you're someone yeah, yeah. Who, who loved those movies um, and you happen to love horror, this is just like the perfect the perfect yeah. marriage. Uh, it's, well, I went. I've, I had, had never seen this. To be my confession, I, this is the oh, first time I've watched this I've movie. I've seen the second one. I've never been able to find the first. Yeah. So well, the first the, one's really the first hard to find. Hard now. To find. It's really yeah. hard. It's not available on any media. Or which is really frustrating because it's, it's like kind of brilliant. It's a cultural artifact. Like, yeah. it, it actually really pisses me off when seminal texts are hard to find. It's like people. Yeah. It's and it's not even that people don't want to pay for it. Like, I'd be happy to pay for it. Just yeah, fucking yeah. let me have it. it I, I think mean, it, it must be a, pre- me a little bit how much the theme still speak to yeah. a year ago, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the, I mean, the reality. Oh my God. Yeah. That the, but the, the themes were so strong still. Yeah. I just assume that it's a, it's a rights issue with the production company or something. It has to be, but Maybe. the thing was, so I started this movie and we get uh, Clarence Williams, the third playing Mr. Sims. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he started with his over the top, I thought, this yes. is a Shory movie, not an Emma movie. Yeah, What's going yeah. on here? No, no, it's definitely. <laughs> see, but this is where, yeah, this is our crossover. Like, I, I think, Shory, I have a sneaking suspicion that you and I both have a deep love for 90s culture because I'm yes. very into, like, the so whole NBA yeah. basketball, 90s NBA basketball culture, yeah. like hood movies. Hip-hop. Hip-hop, yeah. 90s comedies. So there you go. We're not so different, Shory. Like That's we, it. And yeah. I, will, I will now refer to any kind of drugs as the shit. The shit. <laughs> and it was yeah. great. Like, yeah. And it was funny. Like, it's somehow, <laughs> like, it is somehow just laugh out loud funny 
but also mm-hmm. scary at points mm-hmm. and also confronting at other points. Yeah. Like there's yeah. a scene at the, the start where the three, like these dopey, these three guys who are really kind of cast as, I guess, very stereotypical um, dopey kind of gangsters Good slash gangsters, drug dealers. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, right from the start there's like a moment where they have, one of them like starts talking about, um, I can't remember what, how how it comes up, but starts talking about like refried beans and like why wouldn't you just fry them first the first time? Like why are they got to be refried? And um, you're already laughing and I'm like, it's fucking ridiculous yeah. and hilarious. <laughs> the um, caricatures of what horrible well, racist cops are. And Oh, well, my God. Oh, no, no, no. The, no sorry, I'm talking about the three guys even, at the start. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah remember story. when yeah. they're waiting to get into the, yeah, the funeral right. home and they have the discussion about refried beans, like yeah, why yeah, would yeah. you just fry them first, fry them right the first time? Um, and, I, and I love that, you know, okay, so other thing is, and, Dean, you've got to get onto this, Shori got me onto a documentary on Shudder called Horror mm-hmm. Noir, which yeah. is a documentary about the history of black people in horror. It's It's fucking amazing. It's phenomenal. Um, And a couple of the actors from Tales from the Hood are in this talking about it. And the director as well. Yeah, and Tales from the Hood, I sort of through watching that understood um, more that this was deliberately seeking to reflect on and point to some of the stereotypes and caricatures of black people in film and specifically horror up until this point. And it was one of the first horror films that really... Um, made a point of shining a spotlight on that and, and became like a turning point for how how black people were, were represented in represented. horror films. Um, mm-hmm. So this was, I think, that opening, these characters, it's a very deliberate, you know, we're deliberately reminded of, you know, the way um, black people are typically represented. Yeah. And even in the actual stories themselves, um, you know, it makes me think of... Um, you know, get out and us and, you know, this kind of Jordan Peele genre of yep. black uh, black horror, not black people, as not as in black. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, in that it's it really, for 1994, it really was very socially aware and political and oh. spoke to the horrors of being a black person in society and yeah. not just like the, you know, and it's like, it's confronting. So it's like something in the, the documentary that really um, I found really fascinating. So one of the short stories in Tales from the Hood is is really a, a, about domestic abuse. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. and it's it's to, it's from the perspective of a little kid, and essentially this little kid is talking to his teachers and his parent, uh, his his mum about a monster that is coming into his bedroom and attacking him, and he's drawing pictures of it, and he's turning up at school with bruises and whatnot. Um, and we discovered that the monster is actually his stepfather, who mm-hmm. is abusive um, towards him and his and his mother, who is also um, played by one of the funniest men to ever walk the planet, David Alan Greer. So mm. it's really chilling to watch him go from yeah. he's a goofy comedy guy yeah. to this very chilling monster of a man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was scary. Yeah, and in um and in this documentary, one of the things that the some of the actors talk about is when they first started showing this film to audiences, <clears throat> like testing it, a lot of the the young black kids when the scene starts where he starts um, beating the 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 mum, these young kids to begin with were laughing at it and the actors are reflecting on how sometimes when you're watching something which 
is actually speaking to a real trauma that you've experienced or is so common for um, maybe, you know, um, people like you or people in your community, it can be a natural response to uh, you almost kind of laugh to try and distance yourself from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're talking about how what this film did so well is that the scene of him beating her goes for just long enough that they were saying that after a little while the kids Makes stopped laughing yeah. because they couldn't and it went just long enough that it wasn't yeah. like completely unbearable but long enough that they stopped laughing and they were like uh actually this yep. is really this is really this hard is real. this is this, yeah. the reality is horrific mm. and i like it that is the timing's perfect and it's only when you feel yourself as an audience member reaching that point where you're like Oh God, the reality is too horrific. And then it snaps back to the silly horror movie yeah. part yeah. where yeah. the kid is able to start scrunching up the paper drawing of the yeah. monster and the guy's limbs start twisting. It was great. I mean, and the thing with just, it where it, the horror could have just been that. It could have just been the guy. And it, and then it mm. flips into with the monster that he's drawn on the piece of paper. When he folds it, he flips the limbs yeah. of the person so he can control him that way. And then they mm. burn him alive so he's dead. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, that's what this this film does so well. Yeah, is that it, it balances the, the realistic, yeah, and yeah. the realities and, and it, things it, it, that exist yeah. in the world. It, but they do it like this is skillfully and artfully it, it done. Makes you in the way uncomfortable it enough that you have to think about what you're watching, but not so uncomfortable that you won't keep watching it. Like yeah, it just, and so, it's the same with the, the first story as well the with the, story, with the yeah. racist cops. Yes. And it's, you know, they're the racist cops who murder this um, political activist. Mm. And, like, it even says when the when the, uh, the rookie cop, who's a black guy, mm. is looking at the thing and it says a political agitator. So they're always mm. going to, you know, they know that he's going to, and they kill him and then he comes back from the grave mm. because the, but what I liked about it too was that it wasn't just he was getting revenge on the white racist cops. He says to the kid at the end too, well, like it, it's implied that, you didn't stop them. Where were you? Yeah. yeah. You were there. You're in your mm. complicit. And he's wrapped well. with guilt. Like yeah. his character's I mean, is. All mm. the stories actually don't just touch on, you know, the horrors that why the had that have happened to the black communities, but also the horrors that they did themselves. Every single story mm-hmm. touched yeah. on that as well. Like so it spoke to those different levels. And yeah, it is quite a chilling start when, you know, you're seeing the cops basically beat and kill this guy. Mm. And and the the rookie cop who is a black black cop is like, um what? So he ends up leaving the force. He starts drinking and then he mm. sees of the of the politician being like, I, you know, avenge me. Bring them to me. And and, mm. and they basically are gonna kill the the rookie cop at mm. the guy's gravesite. And then he comes out of the grave and mm. torments them through the streets until they're all dead. Like it's mm. it's and these are cops that are also they're not just bad cops for what the way they treat a black man and the way they kill him and beat him, but they're also selling drugs to yeah. you know and it's just yeah it's great but it's it's terrifying the way and the cops are played by three legendary character actors especially wings mm. hauser who and is the tall blonde one who is yeah. one of the greatest b-movie actors of all time yeah and that's i mean the thing about it like with this film especially when you're going to be the opposing um you're going to be that touchstone of the thing that is actually truly terrible they've certainly yeah. done very well with the casting mm, and yeah. the, definitely the second one was the kid that we've talked about wasn't it that was yeah. the second yeah yeah, yeah. and, and then the third one is the corbin uh, burnson one which just which one was the third one the so politician, the, the, politician the, K, the ex-kkk yes, politician yes, 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 yes. basically the, the politician dolls. trying to become the mayor mm. and he's yeah. he's 
put his put his house on. Uh, he's gone to a place where it used to be a plantation, and there's a painting mm-hmm. on the wall of, of of all you know all the little um the slaves and everything. And and the community are like the they'll get their revenge on you. The souls of those slaves will yep. get their revenge on you. And he's his policy advisor or his advisor is another black man who's telling him how to avoid saying all these bad things and, ha- and then suddenly he dies, falls down the yeah. desk. Well, he, he, says, he says something very racist like, yeah. towards black people and he goes, oh, I've been hanging around you too long. And then he falls down the stairs because he trips over yes, the doll. He dies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's like, well, I'm not quite sure what's going on. And basically what happens is the, the souls of the, you know, the slaves of the plantation are all in the walls and they become little dolls that basically mm. start trying to they to terrorise him in his own home. And the really awful thing is, like, he, uh, you know what's crazy? I, a part of me is wishes we'd watch this before the era of Trump because there's so <laughs> much, there's so much about yeah. it that speaks to, and I've Ooh. been listening to West Wing, Week, West Wing Weekly, um, uh, for the past year and I've been really listening to that and it's been really interesting because they're like watching the West Wing and watching they're talking about the shows before Trump during Trump when they're like I don't believe Trump's going to get anywhere and then when Mm. it starts to change and then when Trump actually becomes president and what that's like and in comparison it's the same kind of thing like the the symbolism that exists where he he takes the American flag and beats the black woman on Mm. the uh, uh, who's painted on the wall and she starts to bleed. He's using the flag and he's saying these things that I honestly feel like were the same statements I was hearing come mm-hmm. out of Trump's mouth mm. at rallies. And even the, the fact that at the end he is trying to protect himself and cover himself with the flag. With the American flag. To, to protect yeah. himself from um, these the, the spirits of, of these these black people who were that slaves in the past. That eat him alive, rightly so. Him. But it yeah. also just goes to show that the bullshit that Trump and his followers did is not new. It's nothing no. new. It's been no. going forever in America and it's, yeah. it's horrible and it's horrifying. And, and the but, world, yeah. Like, but the reality is, just you America. Know, yeah, like one person can't incite those kinds of um, racist yes. attitudes out of thin air. They no, have to exist. All. They have to be pre-existing for this yep. level of kind of, you know, hatred to, to be to be whipped up so quickly. So as much yeah. as we hate Trump, and, and unfortunately should, they're ingrained you know, in in you know our Western culture, yeah. and in the heri- they're, they're so ingrained in so much of, and especially and just, in American culture, like yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and this is the thing as well with this story, especially how much they married, they really played and acted to the awfulness of that in a really, like it was really, once again, like you were saying, it's skillfully mm. done that it makes mm. you just uncomfortable enough, but the mm-hmm. horror keeps riding that train. But it yeah. re- always reminds you that this is the hell that you're in. Absolutely. Yep. And then the final story, which, oh, Jesus. Was full The on. most confronting that's some, one. That's some heavy shit. I mean, yeah, the, so the, the final story is about a a kid who is is depicted as, as a gangbanger, you know, he's out there. Um, we see him um, with the K on shoot. his shaved into his head. Yeah, we, yeah. See, we see him shoot um, uh, another kid um, on his street, and then he gets shot in return by his mates, and he, but he survives, and he ends up in prison. And then he's basically told, "Hey, you can avoid life in prison if you agree to do this uh, behavioural change." program or whatever and he's just like done um and it ends up being a a very he he realizes really quickly that he's 
this isn't just a this isn't just a standard like psych ward or like some kind of you know therapy like he's down in this weird dungeon situation and he's and he's seeing weird shit like um and, you know, and they like, basically do like a sexual dr frankenstein type thing where they yeah um they chain him down they tie him up and he starts watching videos where he's hearing you know like heavy rap music and and seeing yeah. Klu Klux Klan and also black well, people first though yeah. before before we get to that I think it's important to note that when he when he enters that that complex he's put in a cage next to a, a guy a guy in a sort of a cage next to him who is clearly a fucking racist white supremacist yeah. Nazi. Yeah, yeah. He's got all these awful um, tattoos and he starts talking to this guy about how he kills black people and, you know, the only um, black people that he's willing to spare are those that are willing to work with him to, yeah. to kill black people. And he's like, you know, do you want to join? And he's like, fuck you and whatever. And then he says to him like, oh, so like, so the people that you killed that got you sent here, were they? did they look like you? And he yeah. just kind of... what colour were the people you killed? Yeah, and he yeah. just doesn't sort of say anything. And and then we get to the the experiment um, where he's sort of, as, as you say, Dean, kind of tied to this table with this weird tubes down his throat and fucking chill over him. Um, very kind of a clockwork orange yeah. meets, I don't know. It's, it's also like, I'm not sure if either of you have seen it, but um, Black Klansman, the Spike Lee film, it's very much yes. like the ending of that as well where they show... Nothing's changed. Like yes. there's still there's still shit going on that isn't yeah. that hasn't changed. Yeah, exactly. And and it is those the images that he sees, it's really confronting to watch because as you say, it's yeah. they start I actually to really, looked away quite a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They start to really quickly intersperse images of um, you know, black gangsters um killing one another with um black people being lynched and 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 hung, you know, during um I yeah. guess oh. slavery era, or, or probably even more, or more recently, um, being abused by cops and that kind of thing. Um, clearly, drawing a parallel between yeah. um, the mm. the horrors visited upon black people by white society, and and then also this kind of gang culture where black people are, are, are acting out violently towards one another. And when you think about it, you think about the stories that we've seen so far, they are all leading up to this and they're all, the, the thread for me that ties them together is that I feel like what the film is saying is that the kind of the horrors of a, of a white supremacist society, which we still really, we still live in, is not only that, you know, people of colour are, um, are um, uh, oh, shit, what's the word? Are suppressed by that that system of white patriarchal power, but it's a system that also has kind of it's this ideology that's covertly convinced that community to like uh, prevents that community from mobilizing and working together to yeah. actually overcome that 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 white um, dominant power. Like if a community is too focused on um, fighting amongst themselves, then they won't they won't mobilize and they won't it's a very similar like any marginalized community. So you you look at um you know you look you look at like the feminist community and the infighting between feminists, between um female identifying people about what feminists should be about, uh, feminism should be about, what we should be fighting for and what we shouldn't. Like as long as a marginalized group are fighting amongst themselves, they won't be banding together mm-hmm. to fight the power that actually um, suppresses them suppresses them and i feel like this is what this film it's it's actually quite an anarchist um 
kind of message when you think about it because I feel like what it's saying in the end is like rise up. Like we, oh, we need we need to come together yeah. to like until we and until we come together, we won't be able to overthrow the powers that are suppressing us. And yeah. it's just like it's really yeah, it's and it's also I like it because you know there is this um particularly white people and films that are made by white people tend to center around this white savior narrative, like yeah, white yep. people coming in and, and saving yeah. Um, yeah. another culture from, from their oppression, person. which is perpetrated yeah. at the hands of, of the white majority. Um, whereas this Looking is, at you the help. Yeah. Which, and Green whereas, Book. Yeah, whereas this film is, is going, no, we need to come together and redefine yeah. what we want our experience of the world to be. Uh, and it's powerful. Like it's. Oh, it's, it's so powerful. The flip yeah. side of all of it is what we realize in that final film as well, is that actually this mm. is all happening in the kid's mind just before he's dying. And the three people standing over him, shoot him. And then it flips again, because the reality is that the three people who shot him are actually the three hoods that have yes. come to get drugs from the house the and and it all shit. flips again the because the reality for them is that they're not they're not in a house and this guy they're not in a funeral home and this mm. guy's not a doctor and you're actually burning in hell yeah yeah and a yeah. hell of and their that's own when making we get the, yeah the legendary line of welcome to hell motherfuckers yeah <laughs> i just love he does the he doesn't go over the top like the he does the no it's yeah. perfect. It's perfectly done. <laughs> and then he turns yeah. into a demon. Well, he turns into the devil. Yeah. The devil. It's, yeah. It's fantastic. And they, you know, right to the end, they think they're being led to the drugs and he's like, the shit's here. And that, stupidly, they, he lines them up in front of three coffins three and they're coffins, opening the coffins expecting yeah. them to be full of drugs. And, yeah. of course, it's, it's their own dead bodies and they're like, what the fuck? I um, they didn't see it coming, but I guess yeah. they're dead. Um, yeah, so... Bloody brilliant movie! Oh, um, the, the highlight of of this pod, the the this episode. This no episode, question. yeah, I, I agree. I, I absolutely adore this film. Um, so we have one one little Last piece of this least, episode. Last but not least, um, Shori, you want to tell but, us about your your pick? So this was my choice, and this was a tough decision because I love the Tales from the Crypt TV show. Um, I have it all on every single episode on DVD um, because it's not really streaming anywhere. Um, my favorite part about the whole thing is that it, because it was on HBO, they could be gory and they could be sexy and they could be a lot more over the top than they could have been on any type of other channel. And um, but I chose an episode, um, you know, and we we have to premise it by saying or preface this by saying the Crypt Keeper is one of my favorite characters on TV. Yep, 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 yep. The ridiculous puns, the hello kitties. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just wonderful. And you know, the boils and ghouls. And it's just, but I I chose an episode, and again, this was a show that was on late or early in the morning on Australian TV. Yeah. And it was and censored I, to yeah. hell. Because when I watched yes. these episodes, there were some that I remembered. There were a lot more, there was a lot more violence and a lot more boobs in these episodes than I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> um but again, one of those ones where I taped it off TV onto VHS, and I chose an episode called uh, "Dig That Cat." He's real gone, um, and it's starring uh, Joe Pantoliano. People would know as either Cipher from The Matrix, mm. or um, he's one of the uh, 
the brothers in the Goonies. Um, yeah. He's been he. You see his face and you know exactly who he is. Um, and it's also got uh, Robert Wall, who was um, there was a show called Arliss on HBO in the nineties. He was also um, I can't remember what the character's name was, but he's in the eighty nine Batman, the Tim Burton one. He's the other reporter that talks to Vicky Vale all the time. Um, but ah. so the the premise of oh, this yeah. one, it's it's pretty it's a pretty simple premise. I don't really want to. Well, that's the very short synopsis. <laughs> a bum displays his ability to resurrect himself. Basically, yeah. There's I mean, a homeless guy. A scientist grabs him and puts a cat's glands in his in his brain, science. and that means yeah, and that means that he will get the cat's nine lives. Yeah. Now I mean, the, I the love twist. It. I mean, I love it, but the twist is also obvious from the start. Of course. Basically, so then the, as soon as he's like, well, how do we know it works? I have to kill you. And he shoots him in the head and then he comes yep. back to life and regenerates. And it's like, okay. So then to make money and, and you know, do things well, they decide to um, go to the circus and have him be the undying man. Mm. Yep, and uh, and and it's that thing as well where every single time you're like, could this be his last death? Is this mm. going to work? He realizes quicker and quicker, like, yep, th- how he kills himself means he's going to die longer and longer. Like, yep. and uh, mm. or sorry, it takes him longer to come back. Mm. Yep, and and oh, look, this this was great. And even though every single time there was a death, I would go back and I would count. Like, oh, really? What I loved. <laughs> yeah. Like, and even though I'd have a number, I'd get so caught up in, mm. in the narrative of what's going on in that scene. But it was that same thing again where, and then you'd have a death and I'd go, wait, hang on, how many was it? So there was mm. this, there was this. I kept doing it because, I mean, we may as well just say, the twist is that mm. in his nine deaths, he's not counting the death of the cat. Yeah. Yep. So yep. his final and he's buried death, alive for the last one. He, and yeah. his final death is this big payout that he's going to do. And what he realizes too late is that he's buried alive in a coffin and it's his yeah. last death. Well, and, and the horror, like survive. the fucking horror of that is that he, I mean, that's you know, he realizes, well, right. I think for everyone, Being like, buried and, alive. yeah. And I think that the fact that he, uh, um, you know, to realize before you've died, but when you're in a scenario where you can't get out, that yeah. this is your last death. Mm-hmm. You know, if he'd been in a, if it had been one of the other kinds of scenarios, he might have been able to go, no, 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 wait, so untie me or un- take me out of the tank or whatever. But to be in a coffin buried under the ground and suddenly go, oh, oh shit. <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, it's very, I think that's a classic kind of horrific trope going right back to, um, Edgar Allan Poe stories, yeah. which, which frequently touch on this uh, this fear of being buried alive. Um, but it also and, plays to the human nature too. Like you've got people lining up to kill him. You've got people so, yeah, buying tickets is, to come and thing, kill like, him. Mm. The first time he's shot, like there's the cat death, then he's shot by the scientists. Then he's he's basically in a tank that they fill with water so that people watch him drown and everyone's like, what will happen, what will happen? And then he doesn't come back to life quick enough. And then mm. everyone's walking out of the tent. And then when he does, everyone comes back in. And yeah, the next death was um, what was the next one? Electrocution? No, hanging. hanging. And, that, and that was like, and he's saying to his girlfriend, pull the lever, pull the lever so mm. that she can hang him. And and that's a very horrific way to go. And mm-hmm. she's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it in mm-hmm. front of this audience that are there to watch. Yep. And, you know, she is very much like, I don't want to pull the lever. And he just, he pulls mm. it for himself and then hangs himself. And mm-hmm. you're just like, holy crap. 
And all I, I was thinking every now and again during this episode, like, okay, I understand that he comes back to life, but surely, like, that's just awful to go through. He's still experiencing dying yeah. in horrific and ways. Like, absolutely. I, I, I kept just, I was struggling with the idea that that's worth it worth any money amount of money in the world i'm like <laughs> you've had to experience being hanged drowning being like Shot, is it stabbed. worth it yeah and and well know. but that's i think you're absolutely right like the fact that he experiences it is awful and insane but it also speaks <sighs> to the the narrative of human nature so the well, yeah, flips, human where greed. it flips He's just... human greed and human nature is he actually is driving with the doctor who's done this to him and, and mm, they're, they're splitting right. the money from these circus things and he starts going faster and he's like why do I need to split the money and kills the doctor in yep. a car crash which he survives so that mm. he he now can get all the money and then he electrocutes himself in front of this audience and it takes him ages to come back to life because there's a whole lot of science to this that he doesn't realise. And mm. then the really creepy bit is when it's, all right, let's kill me, and he's on a moving target with a space in the heart and you've got an audience of people paying $1,000 to try and shoot him. And yep. the mm. father with his getting his son and going, come on, son, shoot him. And the son's like, I don't want to do it. Like, it, it you know, it's full yeah. on, you yeah. know, it's, 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 yeah. It is. It's, it, again, it's one of those, like, and the monster was humanity all along. Yeah, all along. Like, it's. But, yeah. but it even flips again where in the second death we're seeing his girlfriend you know, not wanting to kill him. And then when he's made a lot of money, she stabs him in the back, takes the money and runs. And that's when he's <laughs> saying to her, let's go to Paris, let's do this. Like mm. he thinks he's building a life with a person. Mm. And mm. then it's that big final payday. And mm. he, yep. he then realises too late yeah. that he's, he's But I mean, you don't feel sorry alive. for him because he's no. killed the doctor, like or the scientist yeah. or whatever And it that's is. the point. It's not a sympathetic thing. Like in any yeah. way. It is one of the things like, you learn about the Tales from the Crypt episodes is that everybody's an asshole. Well, yeah, that's it. Like you don't, you don't feel sorry for him, and then the girlfriend does that, and you're like, oh well, she's an asshole too. Like they're they're just they're all in it for themselves, and I guess that's the thing with these stories. Ultimately, you know, we laugh about the pseudo, you know, TV science of like putting a cat's bright brain bits in you. Um, I mean, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, right. It doesn't really matter how we get to that point because the point is human nature it's about mm-hmm. you know what what do what do humans do when they find themselves or what would a human do if they found themselves in this kind of situation and yep. you know i honestly if i had the ability to to die nine times i don't think i would really change anything about how i live because it doesn't you can die nine times but that doesn't mean that you it's, necessarily it's the fact live. that you experience death yeah exactly well that's right. it you're like, not going to necessarily live any longer like if you just have a, a long life and you get to 80 90 years old and you die once and then you wake up you're probably you're probably just going to have nine deaths in very fast succession over I mean, the course maybe, of a couple of years maybe if you the theory that if you could die multiple times and had a certain amount of time to come back you would put yourself in a more riskier scenario but i, but I think why? I, I think to what well, end it's, it's that part where well that's the thing it's about what the ends are like the risky mm. scenario wouldn't be screw it i'm just going to take a whole lot of ketamine and not worry about it but you may turn around <laughs> and go hey i'm going to try I'm going to try something that other people normally wouldn't do because they're scared of it. Like, yeah, right. You know, you could do it knowing, all right, well, I've then gotten myself to to mm. that point. It's, but also, yeah. the reality that death can just come from disease. Like, well, yeah. so, and yeah. I mean, I wait. What I find funny about this is no one thinks about living a healthy life. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. really is the ultimate way to do this. I mean, I guess the only thing that I can think of that would be kind of cool about it is if, and this is this is getting a bit serious, but you know, if if you if you got cancer, something yeah. fucking awful that touches so many people, and you were like, "Fuck yes!" Even if I don't beat this, I did beat it because I've got or even just lives. letting yourself be. All right, I'm going to allow myself to be the lab rat for this that could save lots of people. Because it's not going to, you know, like there's, it's that mm. kind of thing where you take certain risks in other ways. I know plenty of people mm. that would do the stupid thing, like jump off a building to see what it's like. And really? Yeah, but that's because they're stupid to begin see, with. See, I, I wouldn't, like, uh, even though I knew I would come back to life, that doesn't mean that dying is not still horrible and something yeah. that you would want to avoid. <laughs> like, why yeah. would you want to? Like, and, and I don't want to know what that feels like. I mean, I much. like stories that touch on the fact that people that have died and come back to life and the fact that there's nothing there. So it's that fear and horror in regard to it. Like, I, I, I think it's interesting how it, it just disregards <laughs> it, you know? Mm. Oh, but I'm back, so it's all okay. It's, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Great certainly... Story. Yeah, and I tell you what, it certainly never would occur to me to to monetize it, to find a way to to monetize being able to live nine times, which probably just I don't have very good business acumen. That's probably what it says about me. I just <laughs> it wouldn't even occur to me that there's a way that I could turn a profit off this. I'd just be like, mm, what a okay. I mean, <laughs> it's that times. thing as well as being a homeless person, like to put yourself in a scenario. You know, like the idea that the person that put themselves in this scenario mm. had nothing to live for in the first place is the narrative. Yeah, you know, and I, and you know what, you joked about like taking a, a fuck ton of ketamine and just not worrying about it, but I think there are a lot of people who would just be like, "Fuck yes, I'm going to chase yeah. the biggest high and, I can and ever that, have." That's the thing. Like, plenty <laughs> of people that would do that, and it's just kind of mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay, so that's mm-hmm. your way." Okay, yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of episode, <laughs> yeah, I really <laughs> enjoyed this episode. I've actually loved it because especially being in lockdown where we are currently with recording, but also just having this bit of a breather and having lots of little stories has been really wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Cool. Mm -hmm. But you know what? This different side of horror is going to continue tomorrow with our next episode uh, because we're going down another path as well. Mm -hmm. So let's get ready to sit around the campfire and uh, we'll, we'll hit you with the next episode tomorrow. All right. Bye. Bye. Hello, kitties. It's just Shory. Uh, just got a couple of recommendations for you after our anthologies episode today. Um, there are so many good ones, we just couldn't cover them all. Uh, stuff like Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black. Uh, great fun, three stories in that one. Uh, Creepshow 2 is pretty good. Um, and if you're looking for more TV, there's the tw- old Twilight Zone episodes, which are, as everyone should know already, fantastic. Uh, and Tales from the Dark Side, which is a, a horror anthology series from the 80s, which was really fun. So uh, let us know what you think. Bye.